What's more, welcome everyone. A special welcome to those of you in the overflow this morning. James Weekly, God bless you. Franklin Campus, Pastor Eric, Natasha, we love you so much. Uh, God bless you. Worship the Lord together with us. And for the very, very first time at Woodburn Baptist Church, I want to send a, spe- a special and an official welcome to the folks at H2O Church in Perry, Oklahoma. Let's hear it from Perry, Oklahoma. God bless you guys. Yeah. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Pastor Brian, uh, we love you. God bless you. Uh, enter into worship together with us. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. Gospel of John chapter 11, beginning a new me- message series this morning entitled Passionate Questions. Uh, Easter is the latest this year that, that it's been in a long, long time. It, it's a very late coming Easter. That means we have a lot of time to prepare. And I want to start us right now on the road to preparation. I want us to start the road to Calvary w- with Christ. One of the things that strikes me when I read through the gospel stories, and I read especially about those final days, Jesus' march to the cross, one of the things that strikes me is, is the number of questions that you find in the scripture. And all throughout, all throughout the stories of Jesus' final days, his, his march to Calvary, you continue to come upon these, these very, very significant questions, perhaps the most significant questions of, of all time. And they're right here stuck in, in this story, the story of Jesus' walk to Calvary. And so as we make that walk with him, I just want us, Sunday by Sunday, to stop and, and take these questions and really to think, really to think about what Jesus is asking of us and perhaps what we need to ask of Jesus. It's called passionate questions. This morning I'm going to start with a very important question that we find in the Gospel of John chapter 11. This is one of, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, perhaps one of the most important stories from Jesus' ministry. And it is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. John chapter 11 is the story of the, the raising of Lazarus. Now we would not call call this the resurrection of Lazarus. Do you know why? Can you think of why? This is not a resurrection. It's different. I would just call it a raising. What's the difference? Can anybody tell me? It it, it wasn't on his own power. Lazarus didn't get up by himself. This is the power of Christ, but it's still not his resurrection. His resurrection, Lazarus' resurrection will come later with with yours and mine. What's the difference between a raising or a resuscitation maybe and a resurrection? The real simple thing is Lazarus died again. He died again. He is not still with us. He died again. So Jesus raises him from the dead, but it's not like what's going to happen to you and me and everybody else who believes on that great and glorious day when Jesus comes and every grave opens. That's the resurrection. We raise with an eternal spiritual body to live forever in glory with the Lord. This isn't that. This is a raising. It's beautiful. It's God's power on display, but it's not the resurrection. Not his resurrection, but the raising, the resuscitation, you might say, of Lazarus. The story actually begins back in John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm not going to go back that far, but I want to call your attention to, to a few things. First off, understand that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are two sisters and a brother who obviously are very, very close, very close to Jesus. It seems like Jesus had a number of people who loved him. He had a number of disciples. But this little family that lived just outside in a little village called Bethany, 
probably among the closest friends, real friends that Jesus had. It's obvious that he loved to stay at their house. It's obvious that their house was a place where Jesus could simply be comfortable and and be in the company of those whom he loved and, and who loved him more than anything. The relationship between Jesus and Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, is very, very close. Jesus loves them, and it's made clear from the beginning. It's also made clear that when Lazarus gets sick, Jesus does not go to him immediately. He does not go. And the only reason given is back in in verse 4 of chapter 11, where Jesus says something very mysterious about the glory of God. He says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, but it happened so that the glory of God might be revealed, that, that, that the glory of God might somehow be revealed from the Son. So this has something to do with the glory of God. Other than that, we don't really know what's happening. And that's part of the mystery and beauty of this scripture. It's difficult in some places. Some of the things that make this text difficult, I can't even touch on today. Pay attention to how angry Jesus gets. Why do you think he gets so angry? I have no idea, to be honest. There's so much in this text. It's so rich. Jesus gets angry. Jesus weeps. And Jesus reveals the glory of God in this scripture. We're going to start in verse 17. John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Underline that verse. Underline that. Lord, if only, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. Mary's always at Jesus' feet. Mary fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? 
Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rode across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory? Underline that. God's glory, if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I have preached four funerals in about the last ten days. I think it was D.L. Moody, a famous preacher who in his early days was asked to preach his very first funeral. And, and, and honestly, to preach at a funeral is, is an honor. It's also a, a heavy burden in a way. Because there is this incredible sense that, that you need to have something to say from God at a funeral. You need to have something to say from God. So D.L. Moody, it said, went to Scripture, always the best place to go. He decided to go to Jesus and find the funeral sermons that Jesus preached. Just simply thought there's, there's no better place to go than to Jesus. So he went and, and he looked at all the places where Jesus went to funerals to find the things that Jesus said at funerals. He wanted to somehow model his own funeral preaching after Jesus' funeral preaching. But there's one problem with that. What would that be? Jesus never preached a funeral sermon. Jesus went to several funerals, but every time Jesus went to a funeral, what? He busted it up. Every time Jesus goes to a funeral, he busts it up. That's amazing. And this truly is one of the most amazing stories you will ever find in Scripture. Do you believe what you've just read? Can you understand what happens here? A, a dead man gets up and walks out. It, it's absolutely amazing. But as stories go, this is also probably one of the most frustrating and mysterious stories you're going to find in Scripture. It is in many ways a very, very accurate picture of Jesus and what it is like to be Jesus' friend. There's no question that Jesus and Lazarus were friends. In this Scripture, it's one of the things that that is made very, very clear. It's repeated over and over so that there's no mistake. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loves him. He loves Mary and Martha. He loves them. But in the moment when they need him most, Jesus does not come. And it is not that he is too far away to make the journey. He could make the journey. And it's not that he doesn't know. He knows. He simply waits. I, I don't know how to explain it. I, I just don't know how to explain it. And it's one of the most frustrating things that you will ever experience as a believer. 
One of the most frustrating things you'll ever experience is, is that simple moment when you need Jesus so much, but he doesn't seem to show up for you, at least not early enough, or at least not in a time in which he could probably make a difference in your circumstances. That's frustrating. And you, in your life, at some point, you're going to be there. You're going to be in one of those moments when you need Jesus and it seems like he doesn't show up for you, you're going to experience that. And in that moment in your life, you need to remember the three things that are made clear in this scripture. You need to know these things because one day you may be tempted to doubt these things. But the same things that are true in Lazarus' situation and Mary and Martha's situation are true in your situation. First, you need to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you. Let there never be a doubt about that. In this scripture, even though Jesus doesn't do exactly what he would be expected to do, he loves Lazarus. He loves him. And Jesus loves you. In this worship experience right now, as you're listening to the sound of my voice, you need to understand that Jesus loves you. And if ever in your life, if even in the course of this day, if you would just slow down very long and listen for Jesus' voice, that's going to be the first thing you hear. That'll be one of the first things that Jesus will say to you. When you try to listen to his voice, when you're tuning into Jesus, one of the first things he will say to you is that he loves you. Have you experienced that? Am I making that up? It's exactly what he says. It's exactly what he says. And honestly, it's one of the hardest things for some of us to believe. I put myself in that category. When I really want to get close to God, I really want to listen for Jesus' voice, I will get very quiet and I'll just begin to listen. And I'll just begin to listen. And the very first thing I will hear is a word of love. I will hear God say that he loves me. And there's something about me, there's just something about me, I tend to push that aside. I tend to push that aside as if that wasn't the Lord speaking, as if that was me telling me I love myself, and I promise you I don't. When you listen for God's voice, when you come into his presence and you really listen, one of the first words you'll hear is a word of love. He loves you. You must never doubt that. He loves you, and he knows. He knows about your struggle. He knows about the pain that you're experiencing. He knows your circumstances. He knows. He always knows. In this scripture, Jesus doesn't do what's expected, but it's not because he doesn't know. He knows. He knows. And whatever it is you're experiencing this morning or whatever it is you're going to face this coming week, Jesus knows. He always knows. You're never going to go in a place so dark that Jesus' light does not reach you. You will never be so far from him that you will be outside of his knowledge. He knows. He knows everything that makes you afraid, everything that breaks your heart. He knows all of your insecurities. He knows all of your fears. He knows all about your guilt. Jesus knows. He always knows. You can't doubt that. He knows, and he is powerful to make a difference. He is powerful to make a difference. Even in this story, when Jesus doesn't exactly do what everybody expects, nobody doubts, nobody doubts that he could make a difference. Notice there, I mentioned that, that there's a question in this scripture that, that I'm calling your attention to today. There is a question that just hangs there with such weight and such importance, but there are other questions. 
And the other questions all come from the people. The people attending Lazarus' funeral when Jesus arrives late. Late to a funeral. And when Jesus arrives, the people start asking questions amongst themselves. And there are all kinds of responses. Some of the responses, some of the questions are warm. Oh my goodness, didn't Jesus love him? Look how much he loved him. Jesus comes in in tears. Jesus weeping. They say, look how much he loved him. But they also say other things. Don't miss that. And they ask other questions. They ask questions like, hmm, he healed a blind man. We've seen him raise others from the dead. Why couldn't he help Lazarus? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. Why didn't he? Have you ever watched somebody die? Martha and Mary were sisters. Martha was the busy one, the the one who took care, always the one in motion. I would imagine a lot of the caregiving for Lazarus probably fell to Martha, wouldn't you think? I don't know what was wrong with Lazarus, but it was fatal. And he was sick for several days. For some time he was sick. And he literally got worse every day. Martha knew Jesus. She knew his power. She knew how much he loved them. And she knew that she could call on him at any time and then that Jesus would, would come. And, and so she sent word. And the word she sent is beautiful. And, and the word she sent is desperate. The word she sent was, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. That's the word she sent to Jesus and the word he received But Jesus never showed up, and and Martha continues to take care of her brother. And she loses him by inches. Some of you have experienced that. She literally lost him by inches. Every single day, a, a little weaker. Every single day, a little closer to death. And then he stops responding, and he just begins to lay there and, and to breathe. And the breathing gets slower and slower and slower. And, and where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Have you heard from Jesus? No. And the breathing gets slower and slower. And then the chest begins to rattle, just to rattle. And Martha just watches the most impossible thing to believe her. Her brother dies. He dies. Understand, there's no coroner to call. There's no funeral home to come and take care of arrangements. The sisters have to do that themselves. And so Martha herself would have taken her hands and and rubbed the oils on her brother's cold body. That would have been her job. And gather the spices and the bandages and, and, and wrap him. This is what she does. And nobody's heard from Jesus, and Jesus has yet to arrive, and And so they just continue with all they know to do. They just continue with life. And life at this point is all about burying her brother, and that's what they do. Do you understand this? They bury him. He's dead. He's dead. And now he's been dead four days. 
Now, the Jews had some beliefs, not necessarily in Scripture, but there were traditions and things that, that perhaps Mary and Martha would have believed because it was a part of their day. And one of the things that the Jews believed, not in the Bible, but one of the things they believed was that when a person died, that the soul or the spirit sort of hovered around the body for three days. It was kind of a superstition, but they sort of believed that, that the spirit hung around for something like three days. That's why... When Jesus comes, it's significant to say, as the, uh, the, the text says, he's a four-day man. He's been dead four days. In other words, if there was any chance that maybe something could have happened, that he could be healed, that hope is gone now. He's been dead four days. Hope is gone. And now Jesus shows up. Now Jesus comes begins to move toward Bethany. So think about Martha. After everything she's been through, after everything she has done, after putting her brother in the tomb and sealing the door, Jesus is coming. What does she do? It's beautiful. It's it's amazing. She runs to him. Jesus is coming from outside of town and she goes to meet him. And what does she say? First words out of her mouth, Jesus, Lord, if only... You had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will do whatever you ask. Isn't that interesting? What does she believe? I don't know what she believes at this point. I just don't know. It's got to be really, really complicated. We know she loves him. We know that somehow she still believes he has great power. But what is she expecting now? I don't know. And if you read what Martha says in this conversation with Jesus, it's nearly impossible to make out what she believes and where her faith is. It's really, really complicated for a while. How can it not be complicated? She knows that if Jesus had been here, he could have done anything. He could have healed him. If only Jesus had been there, he could have made a difference. But now she's just left with this incredibly large if only. If only. What does that mean? And then when she says, but even now. Even now. What does she expect now? That's the hard thing. Sometimes in my life, because when you've suffered or when you've been through one of these trials and Jesus hasn't done anything yet, it gets really, really hard to believe that he's going to do something now. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you've waited a long, long time and Jesus hasn't seemed to move and you've asked him to and you've prayed and you've cried and Jesus hasn't moved, if he hasn't done anything yet, it gets really, really difficult to believe he's going to do something now. So Martha has this incredible, if only, if only you had been here, but even now, even now what? What does she expect now? What does Jesus say to her? Look at what he says to her. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. That Jesus is saying something so true and so powerful. Your brother will rise again. And what does Martha say? I I know he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. Notice that. Jesus says something there so profound, so important. And it is a word exactly for her. He is speaking into her situation. He is speaking about her brother and what's going to happen to him. He's going to rise again. But where Jesus is speaking this word of such power, 
what she hears is a cliche. What she hears is the kind of lame thing that any of us would say at a a funeral. The kind of thing that, that you might say when you don't know what to say. But Jesus isn't just saying something because he doesn't know what else to say. Jesus is not saying, your brother's in a better place. That's not what Jesus says. And when he says your brother's going to rise again, he's not talking about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Jesus is talking to her, a word for her about her situation, but she hears it like a cliche. Yes, I know, I know, he'll rise again at the last day. We all will. That's not what he's saying. She believes. She really does believe. But does she really believe what she believes? Do you understand what I'm asking? Does she really believe what she believes? So Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Martha, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Martha, do you believe this? Anyone who believes in me will never, ever die. Standing here by the grave of your brother, Martha, Do you believe this? Well, it's got to be hard. (laughs) It's got to be hard. On the one hand, Martha's always believed that, but standing here at the grave of Lazarus four days later, it's got to be hard. But standing there at the grave of Lazarus after four days, what does she say? I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, Martha, expect a miracle. I'm going to walk over there in a second. I'm going to bring him out of the grave. He really doesn't say that. He does not promise her a miracle. He doesn't. He does not. He does not ask her to seek or believe in in a miracle. And that's very, very important. Don't miss that. Because in our lives sometimes, that's exactly what we do. We begin to seek miracles and to believe in miracles. And, and, And sometimes in our lives, we desperately need and want a miracle. I understand that. I've been there. But that's not what he's calling Martha to do. And honestly, if you're really going to believe what you believe, you cannot put your belief in miracles. It can't just be the miracle that you seek because I I, I promise you, the miracle you seek cannot save you. And so Jesus in this moment of pressing her, pressing her in her faith, he's not asking her to believe in a miracle. He's not asking her to have faith in faith. And, And so often, that's what we do. We simply put our faith in faith. If only you believe, you'll see a miracle. That's not exactly true. It's not faith in faith. It's not just believing for the sake of believing. What you believe and in whom you put your belief is most important. Do you believe, Martha? Do you believe? I've always believed. But do you believe what you believe? 
If you've known me very long, I have basically one rule of biblical interpretation, and it's really, really simple. And it is this. Whenever Jesus asks a question, what? What do I say? Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. Simple. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. And so when Jesus says, Martha, do you believe? That question's not for him. He knows her heart, but she needs to know whether or not she believes. She's got to know this. Martha's got to move from a person from a person who sometimes knows and, and uses religious cliches. She's got to move to a place where, where her faith is somehow abstract to a place where her faith is real. She's got to be a true believer. Martha, do you believe? And her faith has got to be in Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, he that lives in me, Jesus says, will never ever die. Martha, do you believe? I believe, she says, that you are the Christ. So what happens now? She has no idea. Do you understand that? She's not read the rest of the story yet. She has no idea what happens next. But she believes in Jesus. And honestly, that's a true believer. You have to believe in the person, Jesus. You have to trust that his hands will carry you. And you don't always know what he's going to do. And you should not presume to know what he's going to do. Sometimes in, in our prayers, we just love to get on our knees and tell Jesus what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. And you can't predict it. I promise you, you cannot predict what he's going to do. You can't imagine what he's going to do. That's why you've got to trust him. You're trusting the person. You're trusting the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God. You're trusting in him. Jesus doesn't ask her to believe in a miracle. Jesus asked her to believe in him, to trust him. Martha, do you trust me? Do you trust that I am the resurrection and the life? Even though your brother has died, do you trust me now? Do you believe me now? Yes, Lord. I believe you now. That's true belief. That's true belief. To stand in front of a grave of a four-day man that you watch die and say you believe now, that's true belief. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Jesus goes to the tomb. <laughs> I don't understand this. I, I really don't. I, I've thought long and hard. I, I can't explain his anger. I don't know what he's angry about. He's not angry at Mary and Martha. It never says that. I don't know what he's angry about. I, I just want to know, but I don't. I think I understand his tears. I understand his weeping. But honestly, there's this flood of emotions that you don't really expect from Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. All this emotion that comes out when he stands there before this tomb. Stands there, and he stands and he says what? Roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. 
And what do they say? It's the sisters who say it. And I just love this. you got to read this out of the King James. I love the King James Version for lots of reasons, but especially this verse. Anybody got King James? What's it say? Lord, he stinketh. That's just awesome. He stinketh. Lord, he stinketh. Now, interesting. Jesus comes to the tomb. Yes, I believe, but Lord, he stinketh. They're going to roll back that tomb. Jesus is about to stir up a stink. As Pastor Eric would say, he's going to stir up a stink all up in there. All up in there. He's going to stir up a stink. My goodness. And it's interesting how they say, you don't want to do that. He stinketh. Um, Just remember this. Just remember this. It's just kind of a, a secret for your life. Whenever Jesus wants to stir up a stink in your life, let him. Whenever Jesus wants to stir up a stink in your life, you just got to let him. This is not poetic. I don't know any other way to say it, but the stink comes before the miracle. You understand what I'm saying? The stink comes before the miracle. He's got to roll back this stone. They may have to stay in there and be clobbered, be crushed by the stench. But you know what? Stench comes with the miracle. You're going to have to have the stink first. And when Jesus wants to stir up a stink in your life, you've just got to let him. And this is exactly your problem, and it's my problem. And it's what keeps us from ever crossing that line into being true believers. Into not just saying that we believe something, but, but knowing and really believing what we believe. At some point, your belief is going to have to be sort of crushed. At some point, you're going to have to go through something that requires faith in order for you to have faith. You cannot just stand and read the words off of the screens and say that you believe. At some point, your belief is going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. You're going to be crushed. And Christ is going to stir up a stink in your life. And it's exactly what you need. And honestly, I don't know if there's another way. I wish there were another way. Roll back the stone. Lord, there is going to be an awful smell. Roll back the stone. And the next words that Jesus says are to God. Jesus prays out loud. What does he say to God out loud? What's he say? It's actually beautiful. He says, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always do, whether I pray out loud or not. But I'm going to pray out loud. Just all these doofuses standing here crying will know that you hear me and that you've sent me. Jesus is God talking to the Father. He's praying so that they will hear him pray. Know that his power comes from God. Next words are spoken to the dead man. And he says, Lazarus, come out. He comes out. What's this story about? Is it about Jesus' friend who is sick and who dies and Jesus doesn't come, but then at the last minute Jesus comes and does something so amazing? Is it about that? 
Is it about Mary and Martha, the sisters who are each so different, but both so faithful to the Lord in their own way? Is it about them and, and the testing of their faith and, and how they go from, from believing to really knowing and believing what they believe? Is that what it's about? Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? This is a story about God's glory. It's about God's glory. And the fact that that people need to see God's glory. But the real difficult part about seeing God's glory is that it is best seen in the midst of our pain. God's glory, God's splendor, God's power, the shining brilliance and beauty of who God is real in our presence, that's what we mean by God's glory. Glory is a word that talks about that part of God that is visible. Our problem is we don't see God. We we can't see God. We can't see his glory. And we need to see his glory, his splendor, his power, the majesty of who he is. We've got to see his glory. We live in a world that is dying to see glory of God, but where do they go to see it? I get so tired of watching the news and finding out that somebody found Jesus' face on a piece of toast at Denny's. It just makes me want to throw up. Nothing against Denny's or a piece of toast. But do you really think if God wants to show his glory, it's going to be on a pancake at Denny's? God, help me. i got to have more than that. You really think if God wants to show his glory, you're going to see Jesus' face in a pancake or a piece of toast or a molded old bagel? Do you think that's the best he can do? He wants to show you his glory. He wants to show you his power, his beauty, his majesty, his brilliance. You've got to see his glory. You have to know his glory because God is glorious. And if you don't know his glory, you can't know him. He is glory. He is glorious. But in this life, his glory is best revealed in our crushing. His glory is is most brilliantly seen in our pain. Didn't I tell you, Jesus says, that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. It's a story about the glory of God. So is your life. So is your life. It's a story about the glory of God. It is not a story about how Jesus doesn't show up when you want him to show up. That's not the story. It's not a story about how much you hurt and how nobody understands and how the doctors can't get it right. It's not a story about your pain. It's deeper than that. It's more important than that. It's not a story about how God lets you down and Jesus lets you down and everybody else lets you down. That's not the story. It's a story about God's glory. It's a story about how if you believe, you're going to see something. You're going to see something of God's presence and God's power in your life. If you believe, your whole life becomes a story about God's glory. Do you understand that? Do you understand that the biggest problem with God's glory, the biggest problem with miracles, is that everybody wants one. Everybody wants to see God's glory and God's power, but nobody wants to be in a situation that would require God's power, God's glory. 
You want a miracle? Then, then first, Christ is going to stir up a stink in your life. You may feel that the circumstances of your life are going to crush you. And suddenly, everything you ever thought you believed gets called into question. Maybe, maybe the questions are important. Maybe it's important for you to get to a place where you start asking yourself what you really believe. Maybe it's important that you find yourself crushed to such a degree that you begin to ask, where is God and does he love me? As a matter of fact, maybe that's the most important question you can ever ask at all. Where is God and does he love me? Does he care? Is he going to help me? I promise you, if you will ask that question with any measure of seriousness, you will find your answer. But if you're never in a place where you really need God, then you will never ever discover that God is all you need. She had rubbed spices on the cold body of her brother. She had taken her two fingers and closed his eyes herself. And she had wrapped him got the men in the village to lift his body, put him in the cave, seal the door, dead. And that's when Jesus says, Martha, do you believe? Are you going to believe now? Martha says, Yes, I believe, even now. Pray with me. Lord, there are those of us seeking miracles. God, help us. We, we pray, and we pray, and we cry, and we're still waiting for you to show up. God, help us not to put our faith in miracles. Help us to put our faith in you. God, truly, you are the resurrection and the life. And you, and only you, are powerful to bring back to life what is dead in us. Lord Jesus, for some of us, it is our faith that is dead. It, it is our belief that is dead. God, we've, we've given up believing. But Lord, I pray that today, that, that this crushing, that, that this trial, that this testing, that this stench in our lives, Lord, will somehow point us back to the Christ who loves us and knows us and is powerful to save us. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Even when we cry and to trust you, even when we don't understand and even when we do not see the fruits of our faith. If we do not see miracles, Lord God, we will still see your glory. And seeing your glory, we will know you. And there's nothing that matters as much in our lives as knowing you. Lord, we believe. So help our unbelief. Bring us to a place, Lord, where we put all of our faith, all of our trust, our whole lives 
in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name, but for our sakes. Amen.